Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today, and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. And I want to share a little bit about the wise men. And uh, even though they're a part of the nativity, you'll see them in nativity scenes uh, at the birth of Jesus. You'll see them on cards. The, the truth is the wise men actually weren't at the birth of Jesus. I know it's a shock. And there actually wasn't three wise men. There were three gifts. Uh, it's more likely there was about a dozen or more wise men. And they at some stage in the, in the first two years, it was at least one year and more closer to two, that they find Jesus as a young child and they present uh, gifts to him. So as we, uh, as we talk about worship and worshiping King Jesus, I want to take a look at their lives and their story and the gifts that they brought, which ultimately represented certain things in worship. Uh, but worship's not a genre. Worship's not like a slow song. Worship's not a mood. Worship's not a set list or a playlist that we save into our phones. Although we can have moments of worship that are accompanied by music, the truth is worship is so much more than that. The word worship in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, uh, is more like the word serve. In the Old Testament, the word is called abad, which means to work, serve, till or labor. The first commandment that God gave to the children of Israel was that they should have no other gods before him in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. He goes on to say that you shall not serve any other idol. And that word serve is, is the word abad, which is also translated in worship. That's also the word that's used in Joshua 24, when the children of Israel have crossed over into the promised land. And uh, Joshua gathers all the people and he says, you know, you need to choose this day whom you will serve, whom you will worship, either the gods of your forefathers from back in Egypt or the gods of the Amorites in the, in the land that you now dwell in. And then he says, as for me and my household, we will serve, we will abide, we will worship the Lord. In the New Testament, the word is latreia, which means to minister, to serve God. It means divine service or to basically do something for God. We see that in Romans 12 verse 2 when it says that in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our reasonable worship or reasonable service. So more than just a song or a genre or a moment, and, and you know, so I know we use the word worship a lot in church, and if you're not familiar with the word worship, you'd be like, what do we do? Are we bowing down? Are we burning incense? Like, what does that look like? But in essence, worship is, is what we live for. It's, it's what we do, and it's the why that we do what we do. Worship will always cost us something. There is a price to worship. It will cost us time when we think we don't have any. It'll cost us effort when we're tired. It'll cost us attitude when we have a bad one. Worship costs us something. Worship is a transaction. Worship is giving of something. I believe that the key to true worship is not about, uh, is about us focusing on who we are worshiping, not actually the worship itself. And I believe that a part of much of the frustration in Christianity today is that often we measure the health of our walk with God based on our devotion to Him as opposed to considering His devotion to us. And so we often feel frustrated that I'm, that, that I'm not doing enough for God and, and that I'm not good enough and I haven't done enough and I don't give enough and I don't know enough and I'm not spiritual enough. And, and, and we measure our health and our relationship with God based on our devotion to Him as opposed to viewing His devotion to us. 
Anything we do in worship and devotion to God is only in response to Him. In 1 John 4.19 it says, We love Him only because He first loved us. Our devotion is second at best. And so often we get frustrated that we think that we need to do more, yet the truth is the key to doing more is beholding God in the first place because it's in view of Him that we offer. It's as we encounter Him, as we see Him, as we are mindful of Him, it's, it's in response to Him. Worship is not just something that we conjure up and, and, and we bring of ourselves. Worship is only a response to who God is. As we start to see Him, as we view Him, and as we behold Him. So as I unpack this, uh, Christ, we'll say it's a Christmas story for the sake of the season, but as I unpack this story in Matthew uh, chapter 2, or, or just this verse really in particular, uh, I want to just unpack a little bit about who Jesus is this morning. Because the gifts that were brought weren't just random gifts that they had lying around the house. They were very symbolic and prophetic uh, as to who Jesus was and what Jesus ultimately would do. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it reads this. It says, And when they, talking about the wise men, had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very common part of the nativity. Most people would be very familiar with uh, the wise men, uh, actually they were known as the Magi. And, and I want to just take a moment just to give you a bit of a backstory on the Magi. Uh, the Magi were, were a tribe of the Medes, which is from ancient Persia. And, uh, and, and the Medes were, were a nation of people, a group of people, and the Magi were the priestly tribe to the Medes. Much like in the nation of Israel, you had the, the tribe of Levites who were the priests to Israel. The Magi, the wise men, were the, were the priests of the Medes. We understand that, that they studied the stars uh, and they were astrologers. Now, I'm not talking, they weren't flicking through the Daily Telegraph uh, looking for the star signs. Uh, you know, th- it was highly regarded as signs. Don't do that trash. That is absolute trash. If you need a word for your life, this is where you're going to get it from. Uh, not, the, not the Google from the Daily Telegraph and what some crackpot has just whipped up that thought he sounded really spiritual. Um, don't follow that garbage. If you need a word for your life, it's in here. Uh, they were studies of the stars. They were scientists. They were very well-educated men. They were sought by kings. They were known in many nations as kingmakers because you needed two things to become king in Persia at that time. You needed to know the way of the Magi. You needed to know their practices and their customs. And then you needed to actually be initiated or ordained by the Magi. So they had a lot of authority and a lot of power. They weren't just some random dudes, you know, getting high, looking at the stars and then following with whatever happened. They were very smart, educated men. We first hear about the Magi in the book of Daniel. And we see under Nebuchadnezzar's reign that when Nebuchadnezzar puts the prophet Daniel ahead of all of his chief officials, uh, the wise men are a part of that group. Which is why it's no surprise that they came looking for the king of the Jews because they would have been exposed to Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament scriptures. Because, uh, because uh, Daniel was made chief of all of them. And Daniel uh, not only would have exposed them to the Old Testament scriptures, but Daniel himself had prophecies of Jesus who was to come. 
Daniel had prophecies of a rock coming from heaven that would crash into the earth and turn into a mountain, but, but the rock wasn't carved from human hands. And that was a prophetic word of Jesus, the Son of God, who would come to earth, and as he would hit earth, a mountain, which is the kingdom of God, his church would be established. So they were exposed to the Old Testament prophecies. So no, it's no wonder in terms of like, why are they even seeking out this? They were exposed to these prophecies and teachings. They had their own, uh, their religion, uh, Zoroastrianism went really whack I won't bore you with all of those details but these guys would have been true to the original foundations of the Magi uh, and their beliefs so here we have a group of Magi seeking a child and they find the child and the and the Bible says they bow down they fall down and worship him not only did they bow down physically and worship they presented three gifts and I want to unpack these three gifts very quickly in the last few moments we have together. And the first one is this. The first one is gold. Who would just love some gold? I would love more gold. But gold is symbolic of kings. Traditionally, when you would uh, come before a king, you would present a gift of gold. The gift of gold was usually about one month of your wages. That's usually the gift that would be uh, presented. So understand there's probably a dozen wise men, so you're talking about, and they would have been paid probably good money. So we're not talking, you know, the, the pictures show just this little box of, of gold. We're talking about a significant amount of gold, enough that ultimately funded uh, Mary and Joseph to, to take Jesus uh, into Egypt to escape Herod and, and, and most likely fund because uh, Joseph drops off the scene at some stage and, 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 care, and obviously finances the care of their family and their life until we then read about Jesus at the age of 30. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says this, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know, we all give our gold to something. Our money gets something. And it says a lot about what we love and about what we value. We all have hobbies. I have teenage children and my son works for me in the holidays and I pay him money. I used to give him cash now he's on the books because it's better for my business. And, uh, and so I pay my son and uh, I have access to his bank account and I can see the things that he spends his money on and, and it lets me know really uh, clearly what he values in his life. And, uh, and I can tell that gaming is the thing because here we are, we've got a new keyboard and we've got a new mouse. And we're not, I'm not talking about a $20, you know, $20 keyboard. I'm talking about like a $120 keyboard that apparently does so much more than the regular keyboard. And, uh, you know, and so I see all the junk food. I see the Maccas. I see this. And, and, and really what it's showing me is what's important to him at this time of his life. Gold was symbolic of kings. It was symbolic as they gave this goal to Jesus to declare that he was a king. Not just any king, but the king of all kings. My question to us today is, is Jesus your king? Is he your king? Are we his subjects? I mean, we don't even like that thought, do we? We don't even like that thought. Are you his subject? Is he your king? Does he have ultimate authority and ruler. We don't like it because we're a part of this little entitled democracy. I don't know if you've worked that out, but it's like if, some, if our mayor's doing a hopeless job, it's like, you're gone, buddy. Next election, you're out of here. Our politicians, which many of us are raging about and carrying on about, the truth is we're like, well, next election comes around, you're out of here. And uh, because we live in our little entitled democracy, but the kingdom of God is not a democracy. 
We don't get to vote Jesus out because life's gotten a bit tough and we're like, oh, can we put the other dude in? Because trust me, we do not want the other dude. <laughs> it's, it's not like this little thing where, oh, I've had enough and let's, you know, can we get somebody else? And, and uh, it, it's a wholehearted trust. We've either got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he works all things for good and he has my best interest at heart or we don't. The difference between a democracy and a kingdom is that in a democracy, the elected officials represent us, but in a kingdom, we represent the king. And I believe as Christians today, we love to be a part of the kingdom for its benefits, but we like to avoid advancing its cause. And even we like to avoid following its rules. Don't we? We want good roads. We want our potholes filled. Like how hard is it? Yet we'll whinge about our rates. We'll complain about the rates when, oh, rates went up again. Rates always go up. Why are we surprised about that? We want our rubbish collected, don't we? Our bin got forgotten the other day. Oh, my wife's blowing up on the inside. I'm like, calm down. Let's just be thankful that this truck comes around once a week and carts all of our junk away. When we place Jesus as king of our life, we do get access to all of the benefits of his kingdom, but we also become carriers of his cause. That's to go into all the world and make disciples. That's to care for people, for orphans and widows and the oppressed. That's to love one another and forgive people. That's to preach the gospel and the message of Jesus. And it's not just to obey when it's convenient. If you move to another country, there are two things that you must do when you move to that country. You must learn the language and you must obey its laws. You come from Poland to here, you come from America to here, whatever was legal over there. If you could have, do you know, 10 wives over there, who would want that? But if you could, you can't have that here. Our laws say different. If you could, you know, grow all the weed you want and do whatever you want in Poland, I don't know if you can, by the way, there's just a illustration otherwise everyone's moving to Poland no, I'm joking we are, we are Christians <laughs> if you can do that there it doesn't mean you can do that here you have to learn the language and you have to bait rules the same comes when the kingdom of God either Jesus is our king or he's not because the real question actually is not whether Jesus is king because he is king the question is is he our king is he your king because although Jesus is king he is the king of kings and the lord of lords he is the king that lets us decide. Doesn't force his authority on us. Doesn't pressure us. Doesn't make us. He invites us. The place of a king is the place that only we can give God. He won't steal it. He won't take it. But ultimately, he has paid for it. Is Jesus our king or is he an elected official that only works when we're happy with him? Trusting God as king means we won't always get what we want. It's hard. We won't always get what we want. There'll be times where we don't understand what's going on. There'll be times where Jesus has locked us down. And we're like, what? And we've got to trust, we got to trust that he works all things for good. Do we worship Jesus as our king? The second gift that they bring is frankincense. And frankincense is a resin that is taken from trees and priests use it to burn it, <clears throat> excuse me, as incense to God. Uh, do you know what? It's actually proven to release stress and anxiety. Oh, 
Merry Christmas. Who's running out to get some frankincense? Be burning that in all the kids' bedrooms. Frankincense was used for priests and by priests. So here we have a group of priests presenting what was used by priests, presented to Jesus, who is known through the Scriptures as our high priest. Frankincense is prophetic that Jesus is our priest. A priest is somebody who traditionally stood in the gap between us and God, represented us before God, and also represented God to us. Uh, in the Old Testament or, or even days of old and, and, uh, and even in more modern times, you know, that, that the people would often uh, go and see the priest. We see it in Kings in the Old Testament where a king's like, I'm going to attack this dude, but let's go and see the priest. Because by acquiring of the priest, in essence, they were acquiring of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, it, it reads this beautiful passage in terms of understanding Jesus as our high priest. It reads this, it says, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We we worship Jesus because our high priest. Now please hear me this morning that Jesus understands what we're going through. He understands what we're going through. He understands the pain that we are experiencing. He gets the loneliness. He gets the rejection. He gets the isolation. He gets the anxiety. He gets the depression. He gets the pressure of life. He gets the frustration. Jesus knows exactly what we are going through. Why? Because Hebrews tells us that he is our high priest, but just as we are, he was tempted, tested in areas, in all areas as we are. Jesus knows what we are going through. Jesus can empathize and sympathize with what's going on in our world. He wants us to reach out to him as our high priest. He wants us to reach out to him as our shepherd, as our pastor, as our carer. Jesus is close on both ends. He's close to God and he is close to us. Allowing Jesus to be our priest means that we relate to him because he knows what we're going through. So we don't, we don't run to social media and put a post on first. Oh, woe is my life. And get all the little likes and the little crying emojis and feel better about ourselves. Jesus needs to be our first point of call, not our last resort. You know how like we try to do everything? Oh, I've got a bill that was unexpected and let me drop it in this conversation and see if they'll help me out. And let me do this and let me sell this and let me do that. And then it's like, oh, none of that worked. Um, God, are you busy? He must be our first point of call, not our last resort. That's what it means to have Jesus as our priest. Not only is Jesus our king with authority, but he's also our priest with compassion. He wants what's best for us. Jesus is our high priest. We worship him to be our high priest. Do you allow him to pastor you and lead you? And if the band wants to join me, we're going to look at the last one, which is myrrh. But wait, there's myrrh. Myrrh is also a resin taken from small thorny bushes. It is good for the skin, has healing products, and, uh, and, and even can have pain relief. Everyone's <laughs> running out to get some myrrh as well. That'd be weird. We're going to have frankincense and myrrh, but no gold. 
The most common use of myrrh in Jesus' time but was to prepare a body for burial and for death. Myrrh is symbolic and prophetic of Jesus' death, that Jesus would die for us. Imagine getting a coffin or some grave, grave clothes at your baby shower. Be awkward or your kid's first birthday and you get this little ornament. You're like, oh, what's that for? And it's like, oh, that's to put on his coffin when he dies. Like it'd be, it'd be like quite an awkward moment. And, and no doubt in this moment, as much as myrrh could be used for other things, uh, Mary would have known exactly what this was for. She would have known it was symbolic and she would have known exactly what it represented. The reality is this, listen to me for a moment. It's, the purpose of the crib was always the cross. I'll say that again. The purpose of the crib was always the cross. No one is saved by Jesus' life, example, or teachings. We are only saved because of his death. We worship Jesus because he paid a price that no one could pay. We worship Jesus because he did something that none of us could do. He closed the gap. He filled the void. He wiped the debt. He did the one thing that we were incapable of doing. And that was bridging the gap between us and God. The wall of separation that had been torn down because of sin and because of disobedience way back from the Garden of Eden. That separation, that eviction, that, that gap, that silence, that unknowing. That even at times today, we try to bridge ourselves. We try, to, we try to do better. We try to pray more. We try to do this. We try to do that. We, we try so hard to reach God. And the beauty of Christmas and ultimately the beauty of Christianity, which separates Christianity from every other religion in the world, is that Christianity is not about how we reach God, but about how God reached us. Every other religion is either how you reach God or you become God or you are God. Every other religion, every other worldview, religious worldview is based on that. You either are God or you are becoming God or you need to do this and follow this and, and you will reach God. Yet Christ, Christianity is not about how we be God, reach God, become God. It's all about how God reached us. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. The debt of our sin and disobedience was just too great. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, made us alive together in Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, He so loved you and I, that He gave His one and only Son. We celebrate this season because He reached us. So who do you worship today? What are your efforts and intentions and labor geared toward? Maybe today's the day where you choose to redirect the labor of your life back to the one who created you. Maybe today is your day or this moment is your moment where you can choose today who you will worship, who you will serve. What does your life exist for? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you that you reached us. We thank you, God, that you are king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
God, we thank you today and declare over this place, God, that you are king of our lives and king of our hearts. God, I thank you that you are a king who doesn't rule with uh, anger and intimidation and, and authority, but you rule with love and grace and mercy. I thank you, God, not only as a part of your kingdom do we get access to the king, Father, but we get benefits of your kingdom. And I pray you would give us the strength and the grace to ambassad your kingdom, to represent you, God, to the best of our ability. I pray that you'd give us the grace to obey the things that you're asking us to, as hard as they may be, God, that you would give us the strength to do what we know is right, to follow the convictions of our heart, to obey your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us honour you as King, worship you as King, submit to you as King. God, I pray as you are our priest, I pray you would help us to reach out to you when we need to. God, that we wouldn't reach to our social media platforms, we wouldn't reach to those familiar relationships, God. We wouldn't even reach to those substances or those vices, God, but we would reach out to you. God, when the pressure comes, when the pain comes, uh, when, when life hits us, God, I pray, help us to, to reach out to you as our priest, as our first point of call, not our last resort. And Father, today we thank you for your death. I thank you that the purpose of the crib was always the cross. I thank you for dying in my place. I thank you for shedding your blood. I thank you for giving your life so that I could receive life. That not only could I be saved from my sin, God, but, but just as you rose from the dead and were resurrected, God, so can I enter a new life, enter into the newness of all that you have for me, live a life of purpose and destiny and value and worth. God, I thank you, not just that I'm dead to sin, but that I'm alive in Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name.